The following recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. All right, well, this morning, so my name is Anod, for those who don't know me, um, and this is week two in the series entitled Relationship Matters. Uh, and this week we're looking at a topic that uh, perhaps you probably wouldn't have expected in a, uh, a series on relationships. And we're looking at the topic of friendship. Friendship is probably one of the, the, the types of relationships that we often don't think about um, and, and think about how the gospel and our faith impacts that particular relationship. We, we talk a lot about marriage, of dating, um, and other types of relationships, but today we're talking on friendship. Uh, and last week Susan looked at uh, the topic of singleness and she made the, the point that um, in singleness and indeed in all of life, it's important to have deep, um, strong friendships. And so that's a perfect segue for us this morning. Uh, so to start with, I want us to think about the word ambassador. When was the last time you heard the word ambassador? Maybe you're watching the news like I do uh, and you hear stories about Australian ambassador to the US or the UK doing something or not doing something. And when we think of um, what it means in a, in, a, in a political sense to be an ambassador, it's someone who is sent from a, uh, a home nation uh, to live and have life in a, in a foreign country uh, to represent the interests of the sending nation in that host nation, right? Uh, and so what that means is that, you know, often when there's, there's issues or there's tensions, that person's going to be the mouthpiece. That person's going to represent those interests of the sending nation, um, so, so much so that if you, for example, saw the Australian ambassador to the U.S. getting into a punch-on with a, a local citizen in the country, you can bet your bottom dollar the sending nation is going to have something to say about it. Why? Because even when he or she is off the clock, they still have a certain level of um, responsibility to reflect and uphold a, a level of behavior and reflect the calling they have as an ambassador. And in a similar way, the lens I want us to see this morning as we go through the subject of friendship is the calling that we as Christians have to be ambassadors for God in all areas of life. And this is applicable in our workplaces, in our families, in our extended families, in church. Uh, but it's also applicable to our calling as Christians to, in, uh, in our friendships. We're called to be ambassadors for God. If Christ is Lord, which means He has governance and, and He rules all areas of our lives, then the calling to be an ambassador remains true. Uh, and so I want us to, to have that image in our mind. And what we're going to do is we're going to sort of flesh out a couple of practical ways that applies to friendship particularly. Um, but it's helpful to have that because I think there are probably other ways that we can apply that uh, calling as an ambassador in our friendships. But we're just going to look at um, about three of them. Uh, we're also going to look at uh, a couple of things that often characterize our friendships that maybe fly in the face um, of our calling to be an ambassador. And then we're going to look at the hope that the gospel offers us uh, in our friendships. Uh, and just by, as, as a caveat, something that we have to remember, we're going to have to do a bit of work today ourselves because... The, the unique nature of friendships is that often we have one many. We don't have many marriages or, uh, you know, things like that. But we often have many friendships. Um, and in those friendships, there's different degrees or, or um, characteristics. You have friends that you've known for 10 years and friends you've known for two weeks. You have friendships with people of the same gender, friendships with people of the opposite gender. You have friendships with Christians and friendships with non-Christians. So how we apply these principles might differ slightly depending on the context of the friendship. But the principles remain true, and so we'll, we'll try to bring out some of those differences, but I uh, hope you'll keep that in mind. Uh, so as I said, the, the, the five things we're going to look at, firstly, the first three are the principles that ought to characterize our friendship. We ought to be friends that point others to Christ. 
friends that are winsomely honest, friends that are sacrificially loving. And then we'll briefly look at some uh, enemies of Christ-honoring friendship and the hope that the gospel offers. Let me pray, uh, and then we will get straight into it. Father God, we thank you, Lord, that you are a God who uh, enables us and gives us friendships. We thank you that you are a God who uh, provides us with opportunity to have relationship with people around us. And Father, we pray that as we journey through this talk this morning, Lord, that you would open our hearts to to think about and to consider how our identity as Christians, how our identity as ambassadors for Christ ought to shape and change our friendships. Father, I pray that you help me to be faithful to your word as well this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so our first, our first point this morning is that as friends, we ought to be people that point others to Christ. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 to 13. Now, by, by way of context, if you haven't read the book of Hebrews, the, the writer of Hebrews is writing to a church where uh, a lot of them have come from Judaism and they become Christians, but evidently some of them are thinking of turning back and going back to their old ways. And so he spends a, a lot of time uh, talking about the superiority of Christ, uh, of the new covenant, and he's just talked about uh, Jesus as the, the superior mediator, better than Moses in this new covenant. And he's warned them to not let sin rule in their hearts. And listen to what it says. It says uh, in verse 12 to 13, See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, so long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Now, think about that for a moment, the first part. It's saying, don't let sin get a foothold in your lives. Don't let sin come in and corrupt you and harden your heart. And you would think that the remedy to that is to do a bit of introspection to sit and to think about it yourself and try harder, maybe to pray some more. But it's interesting that the writer of Hebrews, right after in verse 13, says to encourage one another daily. He's highlighting the the role that each and every one of us have in spurring each other on in our spiritual walks, right? Uh, And he says something similar in chapter 10 of the same book in in verse 23 to 25, where he calls the church to spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up being together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. In that, in that verse, you see, we're called to spur one another on. Now think about that for a moment. If that ought to characterize us as a church, how much more should that characterize our personal friendships that we have? The reality is every single one of us are not best buddies with every single one of us, right? But if that ought to characterize us as a church, how much more should it characterize the close friendships that we have? particularly with believers, to spur each other on in their faith, to to encourage and build one another up. You know, lately, uh, one of my friends has been always urging me to get into running, uh, and he likes running himself too. Um, And so I've got this app, which is called, I actually don't know what it's called, it sort of basically helps you run from, uh, go from not running at all to be able to run 5K, right? And so he does all these little, um, you know, intervals each and every day, etc., and what's really interesting is that sometimes I'm running and he'll, in my ear he'll say, you're great, keep going. Or he'll say, you're almost there, don't give up now. And that's an automated voice. But call me weird, sometimes that's really, really helpful. I might not be doing great, I might be spluttering, I might be almost about to, to give up. But hearing that little bit of encouragement from an automated voice makes me go a little bit further. And if that's true in running, that's the similar image of what we, had to, we ought to have in our friendships, that we ought to encourage one another, to spur others on, to point others to Christ. 
Now, let's think about what that practically might look like. And as I said, we probably need to do a little bit of work ourselves because the nature of our relationships that we have or the, the types or the dynamics of the friendship might change how we do that, how we point people to Christ. For example, perhaps maybe you have a close friend uh, and, and you know they're going through something very difficult in their marriage or uh, maybe there's a situation at work that they're seeking your counsel. And helping them to, uh, to, to see Christ in the midst of perhaps making a really poor decision or about to make a poor decision might look like gently reminding them of what God says, who God is, who God calls them to be, how God calls them to live, and doing so lovingly to bring rebuke and correction, which we'll talk about in a moment. But think about another situation. Perhaps in another situation you have a friend, maybe you're not so close, or maybe you are, but maybe they're experiencing uh, the pain and the consequences of doing something they know is wrong. Maybe they've stuffed up again and gotten angry and irritable at the kids, or uh, maybe they've recognized that they've got an, an idolatry of money or possessions, and they recognize that, they're repentant, but they still feel the pain of that sinful choice that they've made. In that situation, pointing them to Christ might look less like telling them what they did wrong and more like just incarnating Christ's love by being there, by being present, by being a practical support, by being a shoulder to cry on, by encouraging them and reminding them of who God is in His um, mercy and His grace towards us. Or if you're friends with a non-believer, it might look even less like telling them what to do and again, more like just being present, just being friends that are constant that are, are always available, friends that reflect Christ's character and just how you treat them as another human being. We need to do the work in prayer and with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit to look at what it might look like in the specific friendships we're in. But the, the principle remains true that we're called to be ambassadors for Christ, that point other people, that encourage and spur them on, to let Jesus and His agenda govern our friendships. That's our first point this morning. As ambassadors for Christ, we ought to point others to Him. We ought to encourage and spur one another on. But secondly, it also, I think, means that we ought to be friends that are winsomely honest. Now, what we're going to do in this section here is we're going to focus on two verses that really hold each other in tension. Uh, and they keep us from going too far to either side. Uh, so let's look at the first part. The first part is friends that are honest, right? So in, in Proverbs uh, chapter 27, verse 5 and 6, this is what the writer of Proverbs says. He says, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. The proverb is telling us that it's better to be people who bear the truth, who bring correction sometimes where it's needed. To bring rebuke means to bring correction, to, to challenge someone's thinking or how they're choosing to live, to bring reprimand sometimes. And by writing in the form of better is X than Y, he's saying that, hey, that's actually still loving. It's still loving to bring correction. And it's interesting because that is fairly countercultural to how we live today, isn't it? In our world today, we, we say that the most loving thing you can do is just stay silent and never say anything, right? Better is silence than open rebuke. Isn't that what our world tells us? And this flies directly in the face of that. But lest we go too far to that side, we also need to hold the other side of the equation in balance as well. In Ephesians 4, in Ephesians 4 verse 15 to 16, where it says a, a similar thing. Uh, and for context, in case you, you, have, you don't remember back when we did the Ephesians series, Paul is calling and reminding the church on how they ought to walk and live this life as, as believers 
um, and how to encourage one another to grow in spiritual maturity and in their faith. And he says this, he says, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Paul is emphasizing the role that each and every one of us have in encouraging, building one another up, spurring each other on, and helping each other grow in uh, spiritual maturity. And it's interesting that he says at the start there that we ought to be people who speak the truth in love. Two parts to that, right? The first part is speak the truth. That's what we just talked about. Being able to bring correction, bring rebuke, being able to speak up when we see something that needs to be addressed. But lest we become Bible-bashing, overcritical friends, it says to do so in love. Or elsewhere, Paul says to restore with gentleness or to restore with complete patience. And so to speak the truth in love, as Ephesians 4 tells us, means yes, to bear testament to the truth, but to do so winsomely. To do so in a way where people can actually understand and receive it. And if I can suggest to us this morning just two things as a minimum of what the in love part looks like. Firstly, it looks like entering into the person's world and listening understand what's going on in their heart, what's, what emotions, what desires are governing their heart in that moment. And then when, if there is an opportunity to speak, it's being able to speak in a way that they will understand, not in a way that helps us just to say what we want to say. Let me put it or frame it into a, a practical example. Imagine for a moment you had a friend who calls you up one morning and they, they call you up and they're in tears and they said to you, my spouse is left overnight. They've packed their bags, they've emptied half the bank account, and they've left a note saying they're gone and they are done. In that situation, that friend probably doesn't need to be reminded of everything God says about divorce. That friend, probably if you stepped into their world, is probably fearing, how am I going to pay the bills for my kids? How am I going to raise these children perhaps as a single parent? Or maybe they're feeling a deep sense of rejection. They're anxious about their future and what it holds. Maybe they feel unlovable. Just by stepping into their heart, into their situation, you might realize that what they, they need is, is not truth in the form of do not get divorced. The truth they might need is being reminded of God's love and, and His presence. But more often than not, you'll probably find the truth that they need is the truth of God's incarnated love. Just you coming over, being there, giving Him a hug and listening. Right, incarnating that truth in love because you have actually taken the time to understand what's going on in their heart. See, church, in, the, in our friendships, we need to hold the two in tension. We need to be winsomely honest, to speak the truth, but to do so in love. And the two of them together are of equal importance. One of my favorite authors, uh, Paul Tripp, he says this about the two, the tension between the two. He says, the two are equally important. Truth that is not spoken in love ceases to be truth because it's twisted by other human agendas. Love that is not guided by truth ceases to be love because it's divorced from God's agenda. Church, we need to be friends that are willing to do both. It's not about just lobbing truth bombs into the backyard of our friends. And it's not about just sitting silently. It's about doing both, about being winsome in how we encourage and build one another up and how we challenge where we need to challenge, how we comfort in spaces we need to comfort. And you know what's interesting is that some of us, uh, there's probably two groups of us in, in, in here this morning. Some of us will hear the first part, to speak the truth, and we'll go, yes, I can do that. I'm confident. I know the truth. I'm confident I can speak that. 
And so we say, yes, that's great. I want to do that. Whereas others of us don't want to hear it. We don't want to think about the idea of having to speak or say anything. We don't, that scares us. It's something that just seems very unnatural. But what's interesting is that often when it comes to the second part, the groups are switched. Those who struggle to speak up are often like, yeah, we need to be loving. And those who are confident to speak the truth are like, oh, to be loving is just so burdensome. It's so hard. It takes a lot of effort and work. And there's a, there's a phrase going around in, in some social spheres at the moment saying, oh, facts have no feelings. And so therefore it means we can just say the truth. Well, facts may have no feelings, but people do. And so we need to be people that do both. And I'll be honest with you, I'm probably in the first category. I'm someone that's confident to speak and say things, and I struggle a lot sometimes to do that in love. And it's interesting because my wife is probably the opposite. She's very in tune with what it means to be loving. And so we'll have these discussions, and I'll be like, yeah, but this is what God's Word says. And she'll be like, but have you thought about how they're feeling or what led to that situation? Or have you thought about this, that, and the other? And I'll be like, oh. But... Together, we usually come to something of a medium, something in between. And if you're married, you might have the similar experience in your marriage. But whether you're married or not, the calling is for each of us to be able to do both well. We're both called. There's no excuse to be, oh, I'm just a truth person, so therefore I'm going to say it as it is. We're both called. We're all called to be able to speak the truth in love. <clears throat> Again, as I said, it might vary from situation to situation. If you're in a friendship with, with a non-believer, that speaking the truth in, in love may look like less like telling them what to do or trying to change behavior and more like declaring when the opportunity comes of the, the gospel, of who God is. It might look more like just being a, re a reflection of God's character and waiting for an opportunity where they might ask you questions about your faith, which then gives you opportunity to speak more. We have to do the work and apply it to the specific friendships that we're in. But the principle is true. We ought to be friends that are winsomely honest. Which brings us then to our third characteristic, that friends love sacrificial, or they're sacrificially loving. Turn with me to John 15, verse 9 to 13. And again, by, by way of context, Jesus is talking to his 12 closest friends. Uh, and he said to them, he's, he's encouraged them, he's telling them to remain in him to stay close to him, to stay connected to him. Don't try to do life on your own. Stay close to me. But look at what he commands each other, commands them to do for and towards each other. We pick it up in verse 9. He says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus is commanding his disciples, and by extension us, to be people who are friends that are sacrificially loving, that seek the good of other people, that seek to build up the other person in the friendship, that's willing to, to put others first and metaphorically lay down our lives, our time, our energy, our efforts to seek the good of the other person. Now, before we view, of course, it's not advocating for having no boundaries or uh, trying to be everything to everybody. But what it is saying is that sometimes to love sacrificially, there will be some personal cost. It might cost you your time. It might cost you a little bit of money. It might cost you that one night in at home when you just want to watch Netflix instead. But rather, you give that up to go and just have a meal with a brother or sister who is struggling or going through something difficult. 
We're called to be friends that love sacrificially, that seek the good of the other friend and, and not be people that have the posture of what's in it for me only. That's our third and final characteristics morning. That as friends, we're called to be people who are sacrificially loving. But often, if we're honest, these characteristics and indeed the, the calling to be an ambassador probably doesn't characterize a lot of our friendships all the time. Right? I know it doesn't all the time for me. And often, because we don't think about it, we probably don't naturally veer towards these things. And often what does characterize or is present in some of our friendships are things that fly in the face of or um, really destabilize that calling to be an ambassador that are contrary to it. And so I'm just going to go through maybe four, four that I've seen in my own life, in, in the lives of people that uh, I move with, but there's probably a lot more, right? But these are just four co- co- common ones and we'll, we'll go through fairly quickly. First one is gossip and slander. A couple of weeks ago, if you remember, uh, in one of the sermons that Hillary uh, preached on, he talked about the importance of words and how much weight they can carry. And if you've been in friendships with people uh, who are sinful um, and broken just like you, you'll know that sometimes people say things to you or behind your back that are hurtful, that cut you down. And if we allow that to be what characterizes our friendships, if we are friends that are loose with our words, that's going to be something that destroys friendships. And Proverbs 16 is on the screen there, tells us as much, where it says, a perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates close friends, right? Gossip, the power of gossip is, it has, has power to destroy and kill even the closest of friendships. Or how about this one, selfishness and self-centeredness. Again, if we're called to be sacrificially loving, often, if we're honest, we have the posture of what's in it for me, right? Particularly when it comes to our friendships. We, we are, are people who always, not always, but often are, are drawn or tempted to seek our own good rather than the good of the other person. Again, in John, in John 15, when Jesus has been talking to his friends, he says to love sacrificially, but one of those people that Jesus was talking to decided to do the exact opposite. Just a few pages over, Judas trades Jesus in for 30 pieces of silver to seek that rather than the... Um, Seek that at the cost of the the life of his friend, of Jesus. Or thirdly, what about unhealthy boundaries? Again, it's important that we talk about that because the call to love sacrificially doesn't mean we don't have boundaries. It doesn't mean that we have unhealthy boundaries. In fact, sometimes the way we love sacrificially is by having healthy boundaries, right? Because God calls us to steward not just our friendships well, but to steward our our time, our physical health, our emotional well-being. And so sometimes in friendships, there are appropriate boundaries that need to be put in place. Something that I've wrestled with a lot, particularly doing a lot of uni ministry, um, and and maybe more relevant towards the younger generation and those who aren't in relationships, is boundaries between opposite gender friends, right? Sometimes the healthiest thing I can do as a guy is by having certain boundaries with a sister so that they can not be um, concerned about what my intentions are or make sure there's clarity and no ambiguity. Having healthy boundaries is good, and there's more depending on your context and the friendships you're in, but we're not talking about having no boundaries at all. Or lastly, another one, probably a big one, is unforgiveness and bitterness. Again, as broken, sinful people in friendships with broken, sinful people, the reality is often we hurt each other. Often my friend will say something to me that hurts me, and I will say something back that hurts them. And they will respond sinfully to my, my sinful words and respond back. And the cycle continues. And if we're not careful, unforgiveness and bitterness that takes, takes root in our heart, if we're not careful, can destroy a friendship. can cause us to 
um, to fight and eventually kill it off all together. So what do we do? If we think about it, all these enemies or the things that characterize our friendship sometimes, which are contrary to things of God, a lot of them are really rooted in sin. Right? It's sin that causes me to envy my friends so I cut them down when I'm talking behind their back. It's sin in me that, that causes me to hold on to bitterness and unforgiveness. And so if we're going to have any hope of trying to be friends that God calls us to be, we have to do something about that problem. Which brings us to our final point this morning, the hope of the gospel. You know, for some of us this morning, as we've been talking, some of this stuff is difficult. Because let's face the reality of what might be in the room this morning. Some of us have been deeply hurt by a friend in the past. We've had friends that we, we hoped would give us the benefit of the doubt, but they haven't. We've had friends that we thought would be there for us, but they weren't. And that might have happened a long time ago, but it feels like it's fairly recent. So this idea of being friends that, that point others to Christ and love sacrificially, it, it seems too hard. It's easier just to put the walls up and avoid vulnerability at all costs. Or others of us have gone to the opposite extreme and we've tried desperately to be everything to everybody and we're recovering from that. And so we're like, I don't know where these lines are. I don't know where these boundaries, healthy boundaries are. But church, the thing we need to see is that any power, any hope that we have of being friends that God calls us to be doesn't come from looking within. It doesn't come from trying to find the strength from within. See, again, in John 15, we read that Jesus calls his disciples to love sacrificially. And a few pages over, Jesus does the ultimate act that he says, he says in that passage. He lays down his life for his friends. And we know that. We know that bigger picture that just after this, he, he went to the hill of Calvary to pay for the sins of you and I, to pay for the sins of the 12 disciples and, and others that he was talking to. And often, you know, here's the thing. When, when we think about the gospel, right, when you see a point on the screen saying the hope of the gospel, and we think about the gospel, we think it means that Jesus uh, died and rose again, and therefore we're forgiven and we can go to heaven. And if that's your summary of the gospel, that's great. It's true. But whilst the gospel changes our future, it radically changes our present. See, one of the, the greatest, and I would say the greatest benefits and privileges of the gospel and those of us who are in Christ is that we have what the old school writers termed union with Christ. It's a phrase that we don't often use too much now, but whenever you see in your Bible that we are in Christ, Christ is in us, it's talking about this union. We who were once far off, we who were once alienated from God have now been brought near because of Jesus. We can have deep, lasting intimacy, fellowship with Jesus because of what he did on that cross. We have union with Christ, which means we can call him Father, we can call him Lord, we can call him Savior, Redeemer, and King, but we can also call him friend. Our identity as, as uh, God's beloved is that the Bible says that we are now friends of God. And you know what? In Christ... We have the only perfect friend who does all of these things perfectly well. We have the friend who always draws us near to himself for our good, to build us up spiritually because he knows that he is what we deeply need. In Christ, we have the friend that always strikes the perfect balance between truth and love, who is never speaking truth when he ought to be more gentle and is never gentle when he ought to speak more truth. If you need an example of that, the story of uh, Mary and Martha with Lazarus, when Lazarus died, where Jesus takes these two sisters who say the same thing one after the other. And to one, he gives her truth and says, I am the resurrection and the life. Trust me. And to the other, he doesn't say that. He weeps with her. He's a shoulder to cry on. He does the balance 
but perfectly all the time. And in Christ, we have a friend who always loves sacrificially, and he's shown that ultimately by going to the cross. Where on the cross, he took every single sin that you ever thought or ever done, every single thing that you should have done but you didn't do, and he nailed it to the cross to be able to draw us into fellowship with him. And so to the degree that we enjoy that communion, we experience that deep friendship with Jesus, we then find the strength to be friends to other people that are winsomely honest, friends that are faithfully ambassadors for Christ, that learn, often through mistakes sometimes, how to strike the balance between truth and love, how to love sacrificially. And so as we come to this close, close this morning, I want everyone just to bow our heads and I just want to read the words of a hymn that most of us know very, very well. The hymn that talks about Jesus as friend and the beauty of what we have in our friendship of Jesus, with Jesus. And as I read these words, I want to encourage you just to let it sit over your heart this morning. And let it be something that draws you near to enjoy friendship and communion with Him more. So that you can find the strength to be better friends to those around you as well. This is what the words of the hymn says. It says, What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and grief to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find solace there. Father, we thank you that we have friendship with Christ because of what he's done on the cross. Father, we thank you for your redemption. We thank you that you've drawn us close. We thank you that you haven't just given us your word and told us that we need to try harder or do better. We thank you that you sent Jesus, the one who who we see speaks and teaches and does everything, but who, the one who died for us to rescue us from our sin, to rescue us from the thing that often corrupts our friendships and to draw us into fellowship with Him. Father, I pray that by Your Spirit at work in our hearts that You would help us then to be better friends from a place of enjoying communion and fellowship with Jesus as our friend that we would then grow to be friends that are more sacrificially loving. Friends that are, find the balance between truth and love when we need to with our friends. Friends that uh, um, point others Christward. Friends that are faithful ambassadors to those you place in our lives. Father, the friendships we have is such a privilege. It's such a, a joy that you'd gift us these friendships. Friendships that often bring us so much joy and fun and laughter. And Father, I pray that in the midst of all of that, as we enjoy coffee dates together, as we enjoy going out to the movies or kicking a ball, Lord, that we would also be friends that are governed by your agenda, Lord Jesus. 
that we will be faithful friends. Lord, the gospel and our calling as Christians and as ambassadors for Christ would radically shape and change our friendships. Lord, whether we're young and in school or in university or whether we're retired and have other different needs in this current season of life. Father, I pray no matter where we are, that our friendships Lord, will be characterized by, by our identity in Christ. That we would be men and women that are faithful to you as we be friends to other people. Lord, and that in doing so, they may see you and cherish you all the more because of the friendship they have with us. Father, we pray for that. And we ask that you would do that work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.